Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Stocks have climbed back some, but are still close to those lows put in earlier in the month. And a lot of analysts that we've talked to as of late see further downside to come. And so today I'm bringing on one of our go-to noon business hour guests to share his take on markets and give us a sense on where he sees things going. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gaines. All right, let's bring on Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. Jack, always great to have you on the Gaines podcast. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for the invitation. We're wrapping up May here, and to say that the month was turbulent might be an understatement. So let's just start there. Uh, The markets have been crazy. We're still pretty close to the lows that we put in not too long ago. It's been a turbulent month. It's been a turbulent year so far. What's your read on markets and where we're at right now? Yeah. So, um, you know, there are a couple of ways to look at the market, Andy. One is, of course, valuation. Uh, And um, given the fact that you know, the Fed has taken away all of that incentive uh, by keeping rates artificially low. Um, needless to say, we have a, had a correction. Unfortunately, we think there's still another probably nine percentage points downside if we were to eliminate all of that uh, Fed largesse for the last couple of years. So you think there is further downside here, and that actually coincides with the Dow theory, as the Gaines listeners know. Uh, We're big fans of following the Dow Theory, which gave us the heads up about this stock market sell-off months ago. So no surprise here. Uh, We, um, you know, just just a a real quick uh, recap on the Dow Theory, uh, that those uh, the Dow Industrials and Dow Transports on May 19th posted lows and those are those uh, those are the points that we're we're looking at on the downside, and uh, the Dow theory is uh, you know kind of indicating that we will probably see a retest there before we get any meaningful direction to the upside. What's your read on the markets? Technically, you've said that uh, you've you've looked at the fundamentals and valuation, and and you've 
you've seen that uh, when you factor all those in, you have another leg down, maybe 10% or so. I talked about the Dow Theory levels. So what's, what's your read as far as, as levels, where things are technically? You know, from a technical standpoint, I, I like the fact that um, investors, retail investors are pretty fearful. Um, we've gotten the bullish sentiment is now in the first percentile the lowest percentile of its historical range. Uh, so that's a good sign because expectations are very low. Um, the problem, though, is if you look at the put-call ratio, which is really more of a sentiment reading for institutional investors, that isn't quite as fearful. In fact, the put-call ratio is only at about a median level. Um, and that would suggest that we probably need to have some kind of increased fear among institutional investors uh, to get that potential uh, capitulation. The vehicles that you're mentioning would primarily be used by more savvy, professional, hence institutional traders. So they're not, uh, it seems with that kind of data point, they're not as bearish as the mom and pop investor. That's Exactly. That I think we need to see uh, a rising fear among the institutional crowd to kind of complete this bottom, at least when you look at it from a technical standpoint. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, I would say, um, you know, it, it, that is a negative. Now, on the positive side, we look at the bond market. Uh, we look at credit conditions. We look at lenders' willingness to extend credit. And what we're finding is that there is somewhat of a, uh, a you know, difference of opinion uh, between the stock market and the bond market, meaning that lenders are still willing to extend credit to lower-quality borrowers, suggesting that they are still you know, pretty confident in businesses' ability to repay their loans. Uh, and that's a good sign. Uh, and, you know, and generally um, the equity market and the bond market have to some at some point agree. Either the bond market has to you know, sell off, uh, at least in terms of credit, um, or the equity market needs to rebound back higher. Because right now um, the, you know, the corporate bond market is still uh, those lenders have a still you know, pretty optimistic view on where things are going. You know, I just saw a new Gallup poll that just popped seconds ago. Economic confidence at its lowest level since 2009. Uh, being the contrarian that I am, boy, that's a, that actually is a, a pretty good sign. Let's have a little bit more of that so we can uh, get this bottom in place. Lots of uh, nervous investors out there. Are you getting calls what are you telling them, and have you started to nibble? I know that you think there may be some additional downside, fruitless to try to catch the exact bottom, but what's your advice for those people who are calling in, and ha have you made any moves as of late? Sure, uh, we haven't. Um, we still have a pretty sizable um, um, dry powder position, so we've got 10% of our growth portfolio in gold and 10% of our growth portfolio in um and non-correlated with essentially a hedge, hedge fund strategies. Um, and we have not added to our risk yet. But I will say, you know, if you look underneath the surface here, uh, particularly among large caps, there are parts of the market that are actually doing reasonably well. 
Um, if you look, for example, I took a, um, you know, a, a kind of an X-ray, if you will, of the S&P 500, and I divided the uh, S&P into um, cash flow, price to cash flow uh, quintiles. What I find is that the the 200, the top two quintiles of cheap uh, cash flow, price to cash flow, are actually positive year to date. Uh, whereas it's really most of the damage that's going on are among the expensive stocks. Generally, you you look at tech, uh, but you know energy, for example, which is up you know double digits this year. They were you know coming into this market pretty cheap on a price to cash flow basis. Uh, the other thing that I'm looking at, uh, which is also a higher year to date within the S and P, are are the high dividend stocks. Uh, investors want dividends; they tend to cushion the blow. Uh, on the downside, and with uh, rates rising and the possibility of dividends increasing, the highest dividend yielders in the market are actually positive year-to-date as well. You know, that you're talking about that value versus growth, and um, some of us who've moved into value more at the beginning of the year, and, uh, you know, some of our uh, <clears throat> some of those names have held up Fairly well. Some of them happen to be in the energy space as well, throwing off juicy dividends. Meanwhile, you've seen growth get pounded, uh, especially the high growth names. They've come back quite a bit. Where is that value growth push and pull right now? Yeah, I mean, still hugely, at least from a valuation basis, uh, way heavily in favor of value. Um, it got, you know, value got uh, as cheap as I've seen it uh, over, you know, since probably uh, here. In fact, I got the chart here uh, on my screen. But I would say it's at least <coughs> at least uh, 12 years uh, in terms of valuation differential. A lot of that, I think, probably had to do with such a loose Fed uh, all these, these, these past decade plus. That's kind of... Uh, fed into that, you know, move to higher risk and growth. That's it. I mean, it growth, you know, growth is all about, especially the go-go growth stocks, it's all about interest rates. Uh, and because, you know, investors are paying such a high premium for these, you know, they're top quality companies, you know, nothing against them. I mean, they're certainly all survivors. But if you're willing to have to go so far out in the future to discount earnings back to today, any small change in interest rates are going to affect uh, the price. And we saw that, uh, you know, really hurt that sector, that group of stocks, um, you know, at the begin- you know, since the beginning of the year. You know, I think the other thing we have to keep, keep in mind is that, you know, when you Take look at the top six or seven names, the Fang stocks and a couple of others. Those seven stocks comprise nearly a quarter of the S and P five hundred. So, yeah, it's yeah, like when you. Uh, well, no, I was just going to say it's like you know when you think about it, those handful of names is almost the entire market in a lot of ways. Explain that exactly. And so you know when you see Netflix or, or uh, and Facebook, you know Meta down, you know thirty percent or more. Um, that's going to leave an impact on the index. But if you look at the average stock, the you know, and, and I think uh, the ticker for that exchange traded from is RSP. The average stock in the market is is doing a lot better because it never really rallied as much back in two thousand, you know, twenty one. 
part of 2020-21. So I think I think there are a couple of you know different markets going on, and this is a market where you just want to buy maybe not the the glamour names, uh, just the ones that you know keep their heads down and doing their work and high quality companies. Uh, that are they're kicking out either predictable earnings and you know some some predictable dividends as well. We're going to talk names and get a couple ideas from Jack in just one second when we get back from the break. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday and Friday mornings. We'll be right back after a quick break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Back with Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. Uh, Jack, for the gains listeners, any kind of plugs, websites, newsletters, email, any kind of additional plug you want to throw in there? Sure. Why don't you uh, maybe... Tell your listeners to uh, dial into crescentcapital.com. They can sign up for our research, uh, see what we're up to, um, some of the other things going on at the firm. Uh, It's probably a great place to start, crescentcapital.com. And again, that's C-R-E-S-S-E-T capital.com, crescentcapital.com. Check out that website. So as we were starting to head into break, uh, wanted to talk about ideas, uh, maybe places to potentially nibble when things uh, start to get ripe. Uh, And, um, you know, uh, another thing I also hit you up on, and these are obscure things, but I think they give you a lot of clarity into the market is things like copper and different commodities and, and what they tell us about the economy. But let's just start with, uh, let's reset and talk about potential plays here, what you're looking for uh, for you to get 
back involved in the market and in and when you make those initial plays back in what are you nibbling what are you looking at give us something sure. good here jack so yeah so there there are a lot of names you can stay with uh, and you don't have to run away from and our theme really for this year in fact really for most of last year too is what we call quality dividend we want high quality companies that pay a, a high end sustainable predictable Dividends. So let's start with 3M. Uh, 3M, you know, again, a pretty basic company, um, but is a high quality company. Its PE estimated PE forward PE is less than 14 times. Uh, it pays a dividend, has a dividend yield of uh, nearly 4%, and has been growing its dividend at over 5% over the last five years. So it's a that's a, a solid contributor to our um, quality dividend strategy. And again, this is not something we're hoping to you know uh, make a, uh, a a huge uh, home run on. Um, but we want to just continue to follow these uh, earnings, follow the dividends, and um, you know let let things uh, roll higher. That's 3M. I believe the ticker on that is MMM. Right. Yeah. Okay. What else uh, you got? And throw throw some tickers with those. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Ar- uh, Archer Daniels Midland. So ADM. Um, here's one. Um, the uh, forward PE again uh, less than 15 times. So it is below market PE. Um, it uh, its dividend yield is a little bit less. It's only 1.7, 1.8 percent. But again, it's been growing its dividend at about four and a half percent, high quality company. Uh, and, you know, this is, again, you talked about agricultural commodities. Uh, this is a great place to be. And part of the reason why the dividend yield is, is as low as it is is because it has been rallying uh, with, you know, with the, the commodity play. Are you dipping your toes? Are you moving to telecom or, or some of the 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 culprits a lot of people turn to in in down markets uh the procter and gambles and uh we'll also include maybe the energy space in there sure let's talk about uh colgate palmolive so uh cl is the ticker um and you know again another high quality company a little more expensive uh it's forward pe is 25 times uh but it has uh, navigated this downturn pretty well um, it uh, it's got a dividend yield of about 2.4. It's been growing its dividend at about 3% per year. Again, what we want to do is have an income stream that stays uh, at or uh, ahead of inflation. Um, so um, using these uh, consumer staple companies uh, is, is a pretty good place to be. Do you think this downturn in the market and then also in the economy, obviously, is this a, a long time thing here? Do you think, or do we see a relatively quick snapback? Because I'm, I'm just thinking of when, when you, you know, a lot of these growth names are going to come back. I've talked about Posh, P O S H, uh, Coinbase, ticker C O I N. I've talked about some names that have been really beaten down. Facebook, I, I mentioned these these in the uh, last gains podcast, Facebook, a.k.a. Meta, um, FB, uh, looking attractive, Roblox. I mean, there's been a lot of, of mm-hmm. companies that um, our growth names have been crushed, but you believe that they're going to be around 
in the long term. And um, so so how are you gauging all of that? Yeah, so I'm you know pretty much avoiding the growth names right now. Again, a lot of it depends on uh, you know they've they've really feasted off of interest rates that were below fair value for a long time, um, and that's you know thanks to the Fed and their price insensitive buying program. Uh, that's changed. Um, uh, that's changed, um, and and in, in a secular manner. Um, so while I do think that these companies. You're, uh, you know, I agree with you. They're, they will survive and they will grow. Um, they're not going to have the same rocket fuel that they had uh, because the Fed's not going to let that happen. So this this could be a longer term thing. I think a lot of folks, when they're buying the dips here, think that there's going to be, you know, a quick snap back and then it's off to the races. And just from our conversation, this is a little bit more a longer term and you're buying and investing uh, with that in mind. Right. You know, when you look at growth versus value, um, you know, that, that cycle, um, that, that cycle, uh, Andy, t- tends to play out over three to five years, uh, not three to five months. So, um, if you know, as the cycle changes and as interest rates you know, become closer to fair value, and the ability to, um, you know, borrow cheap money is is pretty much, you know, behind us. Um, we really do want to look at high quality companies that, you know, are delivering um, predictable cash flow. But spring of 2020, we came back so quickly. Isn't that going to happen here? Different factor. I think it's the Fed. Your thoughts? It is. I mean, the fact is the Fed, you know, started buying everything in sight. Uh, they bought uh, they bought treasuries, they bought mortgages, and that you know would-be treasury buyers decided you know they needed to buy corporates, and would-be corporate buyers ended up into the equity market. So ultimately, that you know nine trillion of uh, of you know balance sheet buying ended up in the equity market, um, and um, you know, and so we shouldn't be surprised that the market was up um, you know thirty percent. That nine trillion is a significant number. How about energy? I mean, we've talked about ag and some of the other places. What's your feeling on energy? Uh, we've seen uh, they were che- and and you mentioned this earlier. Energy stock, oil stocks were cheap going into this latest rally, so they've moved a lot, but they had a lot of ground to climb because we were talking about you talk about twenty twenty. I mean, oil at one point was negative, so right, yeah. uh, I mean, talk about a big change in in what, two years? I've never seen such a big change in one individual market from like left for dead two years ago to like, you can't get enough of it now. So, uh, and you know, you also have, you know, there's an institutional bias against energy too. I mean, you know, the fact is that, you know, we have now these new, um, uh, ESG, uh, you know, environmental um, standards. A lot of investors, uh, you know, focus on. Uh, banks also have tended to underinvest in energy. A lot of them are just looking out ten years, going, "Hey, we're all going to be, you know, in solar and alternative energy. Why do I want to invest in uh, or lend into uh, in fossil fuels?" So that's a great point, and we've talked about these are big missteps that the administration has has taken over you know the, the la- under t- the last year and a half 
where they've um, not only clamped down, but they've demonized the investing into these big oil projects that you need to generate the commodity. And it's actually forced our hand to source oil in places that aren't so favorable to the United States. And in many cases, energy that's even dirtier. So kind of your thoughts on that. I mean, some real big missteps that have led to these higher energy prices. Yeah. I mean, you can go, uh, you know, back decades, Andy. And, you know, when you look at the growth in domestic production through the innovation of horizontal drilling and fracking, um, I mean, do you really think that that was a Department of Energy mandate? No. Um, this was private enterprise um, with, you know, clever investors taking risks um, to build this industry under the noses of policymakers. I mean, it's incredible to me that, you know, this was done uh, in spite of uh, the, the, the uh, national policy on this. And, you know, as a result of this, now we're producing 12 million barrels a day. I mean, it's incredible what um, the private sector is able, uh, has been able to do. But here's an interesting story. This is another name in our portfolio. Okay, Chevron. This is a stock that's up 75% over the last 12 months. And still, as of right now, its dividend yield is still three and a quarter, and it's growing its dividend at 5% per year. It's still, a, it's forward PE. It's forward PE is 10. That's a great point because we were talking about these these dividend energy stocks uh, end of last year, early this year. If I'm not mistaken, I think Chevron, and this just kind of speaks to how far the prices climb, uh, Chevron was given like a 7 8% dividend not too, too long ago. You said that's been cut in half because obviously that's reflected. The dividend yield is impacted by the increase in the price. But that's an excellent point. Uh, other areas in, in, in that particular industry that you're looking as well, do you like XOM? That's another big uh, that has thrown off a, a dividend. Yeah, um, let's see who we have. Uh, we don't have too many because we need uh, here. Exxon, yeah, ExxonMobil is in the portfolio. Ticker so XOM. XOM. So let's take a look at its stats. Um, yeah, so that's in the portfolio. And here again, uh, up 72% over the last 12 months. Dividend yield of 3.6, growing its dividend over the last five years at over 3% per year. So Again, another solid player. Um, it's, you know, unloved sector, uh, but uh, a great way to have a quality company uh, with high and predictable dividend stream. But unfortunately, a lot of the energy sector just doesn't have the quality uh, that we need for this kind of portfolio. Uh, but Chevron and Exxon certainly do. So in that space, you're certainly uh, picking your spots you know, I brought up copper earlier, and that's just one of a, a, a unique thing that you watch to kind of gauge the strength of an economy. I'm sure you have some probably some other little data points that are, are just great nuggets. Um, explain the copper thing real quick to the gains audience and, and, and give us a couple of those unique little things that you watch that kind of give you uh, a kernel of what could come for the economy and markets. 
Sure. So um, you're right. Um, copper is a great, what I'll call, real-time barometer of um, of the uh, of the economy. Right. You need copper for you know industrial, for real estate, all sorts of all sorts of purposes. So I'll call it a, a pro-cyclical commodity. And then what we do is we actually compare that to the the price action of gold, which is really has very little industrial use. It's just a store of value, and it's a defensive commodity. So um, if you look at the relationship, pricing relationship between copper and gold, it tends to lead the 10-year Treasury yield um, pretty well. Uh, And remarkably now, for the first time since uh, 2019, uh, let's see, yeah, uh, early 2019, the copper gold indicator is suggesting that interest rates in the 10-year should be lower than where they are right now. So the current interest rate in the 10-year is 2.85. Copper gold model, which has been pretty predictive, um, is now suggesting the 10-year rate should be 2.64. So if that's the case, what that means is that a lot of uh, consumers, households, uh, are pulling back. We're seeing it in the housing market, labor, I mean, um, uh, lumber. Uh, is down over 50% uh, in the last uh, eight weeks. Uh, And if that's the case, then consumers and households are going to end up doing the Fed's work for it. That that inflation likely peaked in March. We're going to get an inflation reading next week. We're seeing some destruction of demand as everyone focuses on food and energy and can't buy, you know, anything else. Um, And copper may be picking that up. And so maybe interest rates come down and, and, you know, lo and behold, the stock market stabilizes. Do you feel inflation has peaked? And, you know, a lot of people in the markets now are even kind of hedging. Well, is the Fed going to go as far as we initially thought they would? I think they should. I think they got to get a handle on this because by not getting a handle on this is a lot worse than the stock market going down 10, 20 percent. Um, do, do you think that we're at peak inflation? It, where, where's the Fed at? How much farther will they go? Do you think they'll follow this through? Yeah. Um, no, I, I think inflation peaked in March uh, at 8.5. Uh, April was uh, 8.3. I'm hopeful that, you know, May is uh, uh, low eights. Um and so, um, you know, I think we're we're headed lower. In fact, um, you know, if we can continue to get, um, you know, favorable readings on inflation, you know, the Fed will not have to raise as much as they've warned. Um, and that certainly would um, come as, uh, you know, great news for equity investors. Any other parts of the economy, some sector um any other places that you really see kind of extreme value here? Um, I can't say extreme value, um, but we do like, um, you know, for those investors that want growth, um, I would say small cap growth Um, that, you know, and and generally it's funny, small cap and large cap tend to work as yin and yang. So if we like large cap value, we tend to like small cap growth. We like large cap growth. We will tend to like small cap value. And right now with that um, pendulum swinging, uh, we do like a small cap growth. 
just as we like large cap value. That would be something that, you know, pay attention to. You know, it's a bump. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It'll ride along with interest rates. But we do think, you know, our view is the Fed will not have to tighten as much as uh, the market believes. Uh, Credit is still pretty uh, robust. uh, So that's a good sign. And lenders, you know, aren't worried about the credit quality and their the ability of their their um, borrowers to repay their loans. So I think that's a good sign, too. You've uh, in the past given us um, the read on international. I've personally played some of those international plays you've talked about when when, you know, times in the past when it was like, hey, let's shift to international. And, and it's done very well for me. So I know it's done very well for you. Where are you at with international stocks? How does that play in the current situation we're in? Yeah, so obviously international, the the fundamentals are pretty murky um, with a war going on uh, in uh, you know Russia and Ukraine. But I will say there are a couple of parts of the market, a uh, p- couple of international uh, marketplaces that that look remarkably cheap. I mean, their their currencies are cheap and their uh, valuations are cheap, and that's Japan, which is certainly, um, uh, you know, has not seen the inflation uh, that we have or Europe has, and their central bank does not have to be quite as aggressive. And so as a result of that, the yen has really gotten hammered, uh, unfairly so. Uh, and so it's trading, I think, the, the remarkably, the yen is trading at half the value it should be. Uh, relative to the U.S. dollar, um, the other market we like is UK. Uh, we think it's it's cheap. Uh, it's um, the pound is also uh, relatively cheap to the dollar, uh, and um, you know earnings. Uh, you know a lot of it may just be the mix because there are a lot of more financials and more of a, a value bias to it. Um, but um, it also supports a four percent dividend yield. Um, so UK and Japan are probably our places, our go-to places right now. In terms of emerging markets, I think you know it's it's really in transition. Um, China has really turned that whole sector upside down, um, and we're focused right now. We haven't made specific investments yet, but our focus will tend to be more commodity producers, countries that are commodity producers, versus countries that are commodity consumers. So. You know, we would rather uh, be in, you know, instead of China, we would rather be in like Australia uh, and, uh, you know, parts of Latin America where they're actually exporting commodities. You like Brazil at this time as well? Yeah. At, yeah. Brazil as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are the vehicles you're using to get exposure to international markets, both, uh, you know, in, you know, just across the board and then and then in the emerging market space as well? Yeah, so what we're doing there is really building our own. Uh, we're building our own portfolios uh, and and putting them together for clients. So going um, going out and buying the actual stocks, some names yeah. in some of these places versus some ETF. Right, because there, first of all, isn't the commodity producer ETF? Uh, and, uh, and you know, I guess you could do country ETFs, perhaps, but. Um, um, that's our focus has really been on the individual names. Do you have a, a, a name you could give me for maybe Brazil? Sure. So uh, in in uh, Brazil, uh, a company called Vale. Uh, in uh, uh, they're they're really a commodity a producer. They uh, produce and sell iron ore, 
uh, manganese alloys, gold, nickel, copper. Um, that's one that um, is a uh, you know a, a Brazil Brazilian based company, and I do believe VALE uh, does trade on the New York Stock Exchange. So that would be one uh, that I could offer you. Okay, and that's that would be Brazil exposure. Jack, as we wrap up today's gains podcast. What's your takeaway? What do you want to share with our gains audience? Uh, it seems to me you're 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 looking for a little further downside. It looks like value is going to be winning for a little while, um, and and you're not really biting on growth. Um, what's your takeaway from the conversation? What do you want to get across to the gains listener today? Sure. So I would say. Three things that really highlight our strategy in today's market. One, quality. Um, quality companies um, are obviously they can sustain any kind of downturn. Uh, they uh, have ready access to capital, um, and uh, remarkably, they're trading at a big discount um, to the rest of the market. Uh, because remember. When the Federal Reserve pumped money out uh, and everyone speculated, it wasn't the quality companies that went up the most. It was the 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 non you know the non unprofitable zombies that did the the best. And now that the Fed is taking that away, the quality companies are going to come to the fore. Next is um, is value, as we talked about, value oriented um, companies and, and sectors. Uh, and then also dividends. So if you put quality, dividends, and value all together, um, that's a good recipe for navigating this market. And I would invest in it today. I, I don't, you know, while I do think that there's more downside uh, in the S and P 500, at least based on kind of reverting uh, this unwind uh, that the Fed has put together, uh, I think quality, dividends, and value, um, because they didn't really benefit that much. Uh, when the when the Fed turned on this bigot, they're not going to get uh, as uh, disadvantaged when the Fed turns it off. And one last question for you, Jack: Are you a believer in the dollar cost averaging into positions? How how, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think it, it's certainly a, a great way to do it. Um, you know, who's nobody's going to pick the top or bottom, um, and so averaging in is a great way to do it. And the more volatility uh, there is, the more opportunity for you to actually buy cheap as you're averaging in. So um, the other thing I would say, and I think your listeners already know this, I wouldn't buy a single stock and, and unless I was willing to hold it for at least seven years. That's great advice. Thanks to Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. As he mentioned earlier, check out the website, crescentcapital.com. That's C-R-E-S-S-E. ETCapital.com. And as always, hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. We are back on Friday morning, and we are talking retail. We are talking Poshmark. We're talking everything retail. I'm going to have some stock picks. I'm bringing Jan Rogers Niffin on, so you're going to want to check us out on Friday morning as well. And I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.